Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Welcome to a new week, Solar Warrior. This is a Tactical Tuesday, short-form conversations with subject matter experts geared towards giving you the practical tools, tips, and advice to accelerate your clean energy career. What is regenerative energy? As far as I know, today's guest is the first to really categorize regenerative energy as a beneficial element for large-scale solar development. Michael Bowdy is an entrepreneur with a history of holistic land management. He's responsible for developing and implementing Silicon Ranch's regenerative energy platform. You've probably seen some of their wonderful links on LinkedIn, videos of him and his boss, Nick, roaming around the solar farm. And you wonder, what the heck does regenerative energy mean? Well, I'm going to unpack that and more today. We're going to understand how utility scale agrivoltaics, agrivoltaics is a mouthful, development and operations program can help convert lands, housing solar plants into dual use carbon sinks, co-locating solar energy and thing called regenerative agriculture. Curious about it? So was I. Keep listening. And if you like what you hear, well, you're in good company as we recently surpassed the milestone of more than 600,000 downloads and 500 episodes and thousands of you solar warriors listening each and every week. Many of our listeners choose to subscribe to the show in their podcast player of choice, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, so they get notified when our twice-weekly content just like this hits the airwaves. Of course, you can always check out more than 500 episodes of founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com. We're here each and every week giving you the tools and insights you need to contribute fully to the energy transition. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Well, Michael, I want to say first, welcome to the show. It's been a long time coming. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, likewise, Nico. Super glad to be here and chat with you and glad we found time on our, our mutual schedules here to chat. Yeah, for sure. There's a couple of terms that we're going to have to define for folks, but at first I'd like to hear a bit more about your entrepreneurial background. How did you end up going from farming plants and animals to farming electrons? Uh, uh, it's been an incredibly exciting journey for myself and my family. I'll give a little context to say I have formal training in soil science, but rather than going to research, I, I started building farm businesses. And so I've, I've built you know, a, a handful of companies from small mixed vegetables at your farmer's markets, then got into land management using, you know, large herds of, of livestock and, and really started to understand how animals can manage land in a kind of ecologically aligned way. And, and once I kind of learned that, I was able to apply that business approach to other opportunities outside of agriculture. And so about four years ago, my wife and I started a company that was connecting sheep ranchers and solar developers, mostly because we were landless ranchers and could not afford to purchase land. And so we learned we could decouple livestock ownership from land ownership from the management. 
And so we uh, basically landed a, a first contract. There's a little more backstory and origin story there that we can get into, but we essentially landed a, a, a contract with Silicon Ranch in the in Q4 of uh, 2018. And then after that first uh, successful contract, uh, Silicon Ranch in, invited me internal, and that's where we've built the regenerative energy platform the past four years. I love that story. Uh, what started out as a contract turned into a full-time thing and more than a full-time thing where you're building a team around it and a registered trademark for regenerative energy. For those who are maybe unfamiliar, sticking back at the sort of at the land management level, can you unpack a bit this whole idea of holistic land management? What does that mean for folks who maybe have spent their whole lives in concrete jungles? You know, I think Wendell Berry defined it best, you know, eating is an agricultural act. Just by living and existing and feeding ourselves, we are part of agriculture. Arguably, 12,000 years ago, we might have went wrong in our agricultural production practices. And only today are we seeing the negative externalities of that. You know, we've treated uh, the land and the, you know, plants and animals as a tool to feed ourselves when really we, we could have been viewing them more as a part of a natural interconnected system. And that's what we're really trying to better understand when we build these regenerative agricultural production models. How do those animals fit into the overall cycle of nature, nutrient cycles, carbon cycles, um, and then really trying to, you know, produce food in a way that enriches soils and enhances ecosystem functionality. Your I don't know if it's official, but it's certainly motto that I hear from you and the team is making solar do more. What does it mean? Yeah, it was a very interesting way that that came about. We were we were thinking about what what is our motto with regenerative energy? And ultimately, what we're doing is we're co-locating regenerative agriculture to meet our operational objectives. And it produces all these co-benefits. It really genuinely is about making the solar power plant do more for the communities that we're partnering with for these projects. Can you give me some examples of how the original contract has evolved in terms of the scope originally for Silicon Ranch, Q4 2018, to the, the full program that you have now as vice president of regenerative energy and, and what was it, carbon removal? Yep, vice president of regenerative energy and carbon removal. You know, this was really the, the natural evolution of our, our business model. You know, the solar industry in general is expected to take up, I think, 10 million acres or more by 2030, likely more as we electrify everything, including vehicles. And so with that amount of land comes a responsibility to manage that land. You know, our business model is is developed to own uh, with long-term asset owners, and, and that includes most of the real estate that we develop on. So, you know, we're truly part of these communities that we partner with. And having that long-term perspective really made that responsibility real. Like we have a real responsibility to design and build power plants that function, that are highly efficient. But then also we've purchased this, this asset, this land. And rather than view that land as an operational liability, which is really what the industry, what I saw the industry viewing their land and, and vegetation as when I started this, I view it as a biological asset. When we view it as an asset, we begin to manage it differently. And especially with a long-term or 40-year useful life perspective on things, um, we can begin to manage it to create these co-benefits. And then you know, we've begun to measure those co-benefits so that we can optimize those co-benefits of our projects. Can you tell me a little more about the specific way that regenerative energy and regenerative agriculture works as a cohabitation of the lot itself? Like, I feel like folks are going to want to really understand the mechanics of what it is that 
you are, I'm going to say, selling as an idea that they could potentially implement in their own business because we believe that it's something that not only is good for humanity, but it is something the marketplace is probably going to start to ask for. And it's an opportunity for folks to think of, of additionality on these solar plants. When we started this kind of program or platform, you know, back end of 18, early 19, we really saw room for improvement industry-wide in the, you know, the, the way industry manages land. And so we, we really did this as a way to elevate the broader industry's management of land. For us, regenerative energy, you know, we refer to it as a platform, a program. It's really an approach and a philosophy. So when we take a holistic perspective of things, we look to design it with this long-term operations in mind. We look to then build it in the most responsible way, most cost-effective way, but also the way that's most aligned with, with communities. Uh, we look at the land. We look at the disturbance we're making. We try to turn those potentially negative impacts and waste streams into positive impacts and inputs into maybe a new revenue stream, for example. It's not just about running flocks of sheep on solar farms. It's not just about agrivoltaics. It's really about how do we design, build, and operate power plants aligned with that local eco-region and within that community's context. It can take many forms. The typical form we, we implement at most of our regenerative energy sites, which happen to be in the Southeast US on agricultural land, is through adaptive multi-paddock sheep grazing. And this helps us meet our operational goals of our project, our vegetation management performance specifications. It also then creates extra jobs, you know, we're distributing economic impact to the agricultural community in those neighborhoods. And we're buying fences, fixing wells, employing veterinarians, buying minerals for our flock. And so it's it's really about finding out what is the most appropriate land management strategy for that ecoregion and then designing the power plant around that. You said that it's really about helping people see properties as assets or carbon sinks. Part of your title, in fact, is carbon removal. Is there a way right now, a mechanism in the marketplace for monetizing this carbon sink, that this asset that sits underneath these electrons that you're harvesting? So the voluntary carbon market is evolving ra rapidly. Some consider it the Wild West right now. We're trying to bring a little more transparency in, into the carbon markets, a little more scientific rigor and measurement-based calculations of our carbon accrual via different pathways. And so there's there's many different carbon removal pathways. And it's probably important to maybe bifurcate a little bit here. You know, carbon offsets and and uh, reduced emissions versus carbon removal and actually taking legacy carbon and other greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere and storing them in either terrestrial, geological, or our you know ocean sinks. And that is a rapidly emerging sector that many companies and many startups, entrepreneurs and researchers are beginning to focus on. So when we look at our holistic project, the power plant, the technical asset, which is housed within a biological asset, we can view that as, you know, the technical asset is sitting now on our, on our carbon sink. We know we can sequester carbon in soils. Science is working on how to quantify and measure that more accurately. It's a fairly nascent science. You know, I have, I have a degree in this from 10 years ago at Colorado State. We're still working on how exactly do we quantify it, um, and particularly probably more cost effectively and more accurately. To briefly, you know, kind of kind of summarize how this works is this industry is going to, you know, house power plants on 10 million acres. 
This is probably the the largest, most extensive grassland restoration opportunities we have as as society. And so, rather than view that land and, and just planting grass to prevent erosion and uh, you know meet our stormwater permits and, and achieve NOT, let's view that land as grasslands. Right? We have to stabilize our soils. We have to mow that land, or we can graze that land as a way to keep our veg down and give safe access for our technicians. We should also be looking at improving the ecosystem functionality of these grassland ecosystems. When we do that, we begin to mimic the way grasslands and native ruminants co-evolved over millions of years. Let me get a little esoteric here. Grasslands in the Great Plains were you know, t- nine, 10 feet tall. This is the, the tall grass prairie. There was 45 million bison roaming those plains. They were followed by about 45 million antelope. And then large you know, packs of wolves were moving these herds around the Great Plains. The way they did that, you know, it might have been 10, 20,000 strong bison herds strong. Those wolves would have been giving predation pressure and keeping those bison always moving. That land then and the grasses and the prairie, they were disturbed by the grazing impact. Those bison were eating grass, they were trampling, they were manuring and urinating, and then they were moving on and not coming back to that land for maybe a year, right? We can't do that under a solar farm, clearly, but we can mimic that. We can use domesticated livestock, sheep, and we can use you know, qualified managers and electric fence to move sheep around our solar farm in the very same way. And so where the sheep are today, we'll move them to a new paddock tomorrow, to a new inverter block tomorrow. We'll move into another inverter block the next day. Meanwhile, we wouldn't come back to that place we started for maybe 40 to 60 days. That allowed that vegetation to regrow, basically putting its its leaves back up so it's capturing more CO2 from the air. And then it stores all of that CO2 in carbohydrates deep down in its soil, deep down in its, in its root systems. And when those sheep come back around and graze that grass again, some of those roots kind of die back to put more energy back into vegetative growth of its leaves. That leaves some of that organic matter deep down in the soil. Some of that, through a fairly complex biogeochemical process, then gets converted to, to carbon. Some of that carbon is then stored short, mid, and long term. And that's what we're working on quantifying. Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast. And you've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry. Heck, Solve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major U.S. developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow.
Hey family, one quick reminder here that if you haven't yet joined Resource Labs, you are missing out. It is our outstanding community. It's the evolution of Suncast, moving from presentations, you listening to us talk, to conversations, our community involved in conversations as varied as powering Australia, to green hydrogen, to crypto, and so many other things. Our newsroom is full of great insights. The main chat and even our RE Plus Where to Party At channel have been popping off. We've got more than 100 folks enjoying the community, and I would invite you in. You can do that at mysuncast.com forward slash community. Come see how Resource Labs can help you grow your influence, impact, and income. See you inside. Is there a clear distinction that you can make for us for how it's always been done, sort of how land management as a category was managed or not underneath solar farms until, I'll say until recently, that presumably is not going to qualify as a carbon sink versus how you are doing it with the paddock grazing and regenerative agriculture? You know, when I got into this business, the the reason I did is I saw a market opportunity. I was a landless rancher with a soil science background, wanting to sequester carbon in soils using livestock. I saw the industry mowing and spraying growth inhibitors on large tracts of land. And that to me just did not add up. You know, that is where when we're th- spraying growth inhibitors, we're, you're, you're literally preventing grass from growing. You know, and then if you're trying to control weeds to reduce your mowing bill, you're spraying herbicides, you're just killing your soil microbiology. We need that soil microbiology in order to have healthy soils and functioning cycles of nature, these nutrient, water, carbon cycles. Especially since we've asked society to believe that we're going to protect this land and presumably rotate it out of crop season, right? We're going to rotate this land for the next 20 years. Trust us, we're going to take care of this property. But what you're saying is that we're actually killing the microbiome in that soil that would then make it good, fertile farmland 50 years from now if we wanted to revert back to that. Correct. Yeah, we have to manage it as an as an asset. We can't just look to reduce OPEX at the cheapest possible solution. And and you know also key, key to remember here, Silicon Ranch was one of the pioneers building utility scale power plants in the southeast. It rains in the southeast. It doesn't necessarily rain in the western U.S., where a lot of these you know construction practices and you know you know uh, experience operating power plants at scale was happening. And so we, we literally had to learn the lessons to, you know, spend a lot of money to plant grass to stabilize your soils. A lot of deep ruts in South Carolina that proved those, uh, those <laughs> bumps and bruises for many developers. Yeah. Erosion, rutting, wet soils, schedule impacts due to, due to erosion and wet, wet, boggy weather. Those are all things we had to navigate and learn, learn about. I love what you said. The largest, most extensive grassland restoration project. We have an opportunity to really engage, engage the industry. You said something else that resonates with me. I want to drill down on it because I think it's an important distinction in a world where perhaps the layperson who maybe is only focused on residential or maybe they work for a module or like a manufacturer and not necessarily in the development process or game and they're not in sales, they may not distinguish between a large platform development uh, company versus what Silicon Ranch is now, which is effectively an IPP, uh, an owner, you said we've purchased this land, which isn't true for every solar project developer. And it's not true for, for many solar projects. So does the thesis for this being a valuable asset enhancement opportunity, does it still hold 
water for developers who aren't long-term owners who are doing a build flip model or and, and aren't IPPs like SRC? Well, I think we all should strive to build the best in class power plants. And so hard to argue, you know, short-term incentives versus long-term viewpoint. And so those are those are challenges we're just gonna have to navigate. I think each project's unique, unique, obviously. But our industry has to get this issue right. We're taking up lots of land. Communities are beginning to say, what else can this power plant do for our community? Or else they might kill the kill the project. And so I think as an industry, we have to start thinking more long-term, have to start thinking more holistically and put some value on these co-benefits of the projects. You know, there's a lot of NIMBYism, especially as we get out of the sort of easy giant swaths around where there are no population centers, those huge tracts of land that were occupied for the last 15 years by the, by the first utility-scale solar plants, perhaps Bureau of Land Management sites, et cetera. There's a lot of NIMBYism, not in my backyard. This is one real conscious effort to assuage those concerns. That's one. But I'll play devil's advocate on your behalf for the audience who might be wondering, does this actually make economic sense? Consider for a moment the retail industry. Many folks managing their supply chain and their production capacity whose number one purchaser was Walmart have dramatically changed the way they view their sustainability footprint, their carbon footprint in the last three years since Walmart has said, We're going after more than just scope one emissions for our ESG requirements, and we're going to force all of our suppliers to meet all of the requirements that we hold as a standard for our sustainability metrics and needs. So consider for a moment, and I'd love for your your thoughts on this, because this is like really a little bit esoteric for folks to think about, but consider for a moment companies like SRC, companies like Constellation, the the big dominions of the world, uh, Next Arrows, that are buying and owning these assets long-term that might at some point flip the script and say, you know what, it actually does make sense for us to consider what we're doing to the land long-term. And we're getting too much pushback in the city halls of the communities that we're building relationships long-term with. And they start to require, I'll call it things like regenerative energy. Do you see that as a, as a, as a near-term opportunity for developers to position themselves with, with a sense of strength? You know, I'll, I'll, I hope it's not too cliche, but like the pie is really big and we can make the pie bigger by doing you know, by building better power plants. When we look at the land as an agricultural asset, that we can actually keep an agricultural production, we can employ ranchers either through service contracts or directly hiring them. You know, there's additional value that's essentially created riding on the coattails of the energy project. And so these, you know, the agricultural communities, they're in dire straits. Like there's not a lot of great solutions for agriculture right now, especially young folks in agriculture. These agrivoltaic projects, these regenerative energy projects, they're, they're one pathway for folks to get involved in agriculture, keep that land in ag production, be part of their, their rural community where there's not a lot of jobs. They can stay at home. They can promote these type of projects. And ultimately, like we need to build more power plants faster. And, and so this is one way that communities can, we hope, be proud of a power plant in their neighborhood because it is serving that multiple you know, that, that dual purpose, that multiple functionality. Makes sense to me. And it's one of the things, the reasons I, at every turn, try to like and comment on all the videos that you and Nick are posting on LinkedIn that, candidly, I think you guys are doing a great job with Rob and the team <laughs> of, of putting great content out there that explains why this is valuable. But let's say for the developer out there that would say, okay, I get it. Michael Bowdy, this seems really interesting to me. What do I do? How do I actually deliver these services? I'm not Silicon Ranch with hundreds of sites and deep pockets uh, backing my platform. 
you know, one of the first things I did when I when I got into the job is I found the local farmer and rancher that had been managing land for potentially generations, knew how to restore perennial grasses to their pastures. Uh, this is what we did in with White Oak Pastures and Will Harris. This was one of our first projects. And so it's really about valuing and respecting that local institutional knowledge of how land functions, how it's managed, how not to get tripped up managing it, and then trying to apply that to our construction processes. And so we've had many local ranchers help us understand how we should be approaching these projects. You know, this stakeholder, perfect stakeholder engagement opportunity, bring folks together, learn from them. And ultimately, they'll become proud of the project because we've listened and, and, and we need them. Like we need folks to help us build these projects. We've published a lot of our stuff on on our website. And again, our goal is to elevate the industry's management of land. We hope others and we're seeing others do it. And I'm, I'm really proud that this thing's really taken off. That's one thing I, I want to highlight and I appreciate and you're being humble. You guys have really taken like an Elon Musk's open source approach of saying, this is how we do it. And we want other people to do it. We think it's important. We aren't the only folks holding the keys to the castle here. Talk a bit about your self-perform agrivoltaics initiative. Sure. So, you know, we deliver regenerative energy services two ways. We started through, again, finding the local qualified regenerative ranchers, giving service agreements to them to meet our basically the same performance specs as a mower. The challenge with that is, you know, these are not just sheep grazing or sheep ranching opportunities or jobs. Like we're, we're very particular in the way we need the sheep managed to meet those those vegetation management. Yeah. Same performance specs as a mower. <laughs> as a mower. Yep. Now That's it's great. possible. And there's some highly trained and highly qualified ranchers out there. Um, a lot of them are part of the Savory Institute and use holistic management and holistic planned grazing to manage their own ranches. And so really that's that's kind of one of the prerequisites that we use. Now, why it's evolved and how it's evolved into a self-performed program is, you know, not every project we build is in close proximity to a sheep rancher um, or a qualified sheep rancher that may be able to to meet those specifications. And so what we've we've learned is that we can create jobs, directly hire folks. Um, a lot of times they're young, you know, 4-H. 4-H farmers coming out of high school that come and, and our goal is to, to train them and build a whole workforce development program around this as well. We've purchased a large flock of sheep that's adapted to the Southeast U.S. And so we have a little more control over our tool, our land management tool, while creating these new job opportunities and kind of piloting this self-perform program over this past year. Um, we're incredibly proud of it. Uh, we see it. We see it as one of our levers to pull to scale this thing um, into other regions and across the country. One of the things I've noted in my conversations with you is you're unabashedly not an engineer. <laughs> it's not your background, <laughs> yet Yet you have a seemingly fundamentally sound understanding of engineering and your ability to communicate with that community and get them to understand what this all means for them. I mean, you do speak in detail, you're a learned man, but there's a difference in sort of your boss, Nick's engineering mind and, and your non-engineering mind to build this product that complements the larger mission of deploying solar. I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts or maybe even 
strategies for folks that are non-engineers like myself on how to navigate this discussion with engineers as a non-technical person? And how did, how did it all start to click for you as you navigate this world yourself? I like to think of myself as a generalist. Um, I, I know a little bit about a whole lot of things, I, I like to think. Uh, not all of it's correct, I'll admit. Um, but I also went through you know, formal training with the Savory Institute on holistic management. Basically, holistic management is a decision-making framework that, you know, especially working with nature, we have to approach every problem we try to solve with, we're probably wrong. And so what we do is we plan, we do, we observe, we replan, and we redo. And so we're, we're always taking stock of our, our decisions. Nature is, is complex. It's not complicated. It's just complex. And engineering is complicated, you take one part out and it doesn't work. Nature is self-organizing. You take one part out, it reorganizes itself. It continues to function, maybe a little differently. And so I've taken this holistic management or this generalist approach into this you know, new career of mine. I was a son of an engineer, an electrical engineer, who you know worked for our local utility company that eventually Duke, I ended up being part of Duke Energy there at the end. Um, and so I've been around this my whole life. I, I understood it kind of from a from a distance. And then I very deliberately tried to learn the language and the basic concepts and then apply my expertise of land management and, and natural systems to that while being fairly direct that nature's not an engineering exercise. You know, and one example of this, when we're you know planting, we're stabilizing soils during construction. An EPC says, well, I planted the grass or I saw the speck on a civil sheet and, and I, I, I did that. Well, what was the outcome of that? Because that's the key uh, success indicator is, did it work? Uh, it's not just I did it and it should function. And so it's really about understanding we're working with natural systems. The power plant is housed within a natural system. If you had to communicate in, more, in a broad sort of big tent way to fellow engineers and non-engineers alike at other development shops about how we need to view these lands as assets. We had a thousand voices pushing for this to happen. What would you be asking for of the industry to, to recognize, not regenerative energy, the, re, the, the trademarked um, label that you've given it, but the, the integration of this concept of holistic management into our development of energy assets on farmland and beyond in the United States. How, how would you speak to that broader community to rally them for this idea and how to get any of the roadblocks that you see in the way out right now? You know, our goal in regenerative agriculture is to improve the functionality of that ecosystem, forest, grassland, cropping system. And so I think the industry, and I, I see it happening, we're viewing our power plants as a way to improve the functionality of the community that where we're citing these. Many of them are very rural communities. And so understanding how not only our taxes support that community, but how does that power plant operate for the next 40 years in that community? And how can we maybe enhance the co-benefits of that? Michael, if you would be so kind, I'd love to know what resources can folks tap into to learn more about sustainable land management and regenerative energy broadly? Yeah, Nico, we, um, we kind of talked about this this earlier. Um, you know, we, we did a pretty extensive exercise building a website with some of these resources available at, at our siliconranch.com website, also at our regenerativeenergy.org website. 
those are kind of our our brand of agrivoltaics or of holistic management within the solar industry. Um, I'd also say, you know, check out the, the funding opportunities that the DOE is putting out there. Just reading the funding announcements gives you an idea of where uh, federal dollars are going to go into research and, and ideally evolve this, you know, this industry. Um, NREL has some phenomenal resources on their Inspire pages. And then for those of you really interested in geeking out on land management, check out the Savory Institute. They've got a phenomenal library and and research links to all sorts of papers around how to how do we install and manage grasslands long term. Michael Bowdy is the vice president of regenerative energy and carbon removal for Silicon Ranch Corporation. Michael, it's been so insightful for me and I'm sure for others to hear your perspective on this really important topic around how we can create additive value to these power plants. Hope we'll have you back again soon. Awesome, Nico. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, love to join you again for another discussion. Well, there you have it, Solar Warrior. If you didn't know, now you know. Regenerative energy is a thing. And I do believe, as I said in the interview, that it will approximate something similar to the supply mandates that folks uh, like Walmart are placing on their providers. So listen up, solar developers. The owners are going to demand more, especially as environmental and sustainability governance become a more critical factor in public company valuations and how they are uh, measured and held accountable. So I hope that this was helpful for you. Certainly it was helpful for me. I'd love to know how, if at all, it was in fact helpful for you. Would you share with us in the comments? I've got a LinkedIn post that you can easily find by going to my LinkedIn account. We link all of this, of course, in our resources page, otherwise known as the show notes. And click on, click on the episodes tab of mysuncast.com. And that, my fellow Philomath, is where you can continue all your learning. You can look at the different links to the DOE and NREL programs that Michael mentioned. You can check out the treasure trove of resources that Silicon Ranch have created for you as well. And you can tap into the collective knowledge and learn from what they have done so that you don't have to learn it all over again. Hope you'll join us this Thursday and every Thursday as we go deep with another executive profile of Solar Warriors founders, CEOs, executives on the front lines taking climate action towards this clean energy transition we're all a part of. And if you haven't already, I would encourage you to join our growing group of solar and climate warriors that we call Resource Labs. Resource Labs is our online, offline community that we host on a Discord server. You can find out more at mysuncast.com forward slash community. And lastly, of course, I want to thank our sponsors who help keep this content free for you. You can learn more about our sponsors at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also how you could learn ways that you could partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like they do. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It is half the battle.